Good morning. Uh, I'm Darren. If you're visiting um, one of the pastors here, the Lord uh, has been really kind to our gathering, and we're just glad for those of you that had a chance to come and visit us. We're just glad you're here. And in a community like Nashville, where there's so many amazing churches, and there really are, God's doing all kinds of great things in lots of places. And uh, we're just glad to play this part in the kingdom, and, and for you to come and join us this morning means a lot to us. Um, when you look back over the last year for Conduit, that's just a, a little bit of a glimpse of what the Lord did just this year uh, through us. And I, I always hesitate to just make it about the money, because the money is just the tool in the hands of the right person in the kingdom. And so, but at the same time, we can say a lot, you know, with, with what we do with our, our money as far as a church family. If we ask you to live sacrificially, you know, why wouldn't we as a church family? And that's what the Lord has done. And so when I say that we did this, like I'm not saying that to patronize you. Like we did this. You did this. We together did this. Together we can do more. And what we've done as a church family is a little different. Now, in fairness, I probably it was because I just didn't, um, I didn't well, I didn't know any better. Um, if you're visiting, you may or may not know that I'm a recovering artist manager. So I spent like, you know, couple of decades trying to chase. It's like herding uh, rabbits in a wheelbarrow, just trying to keep them all in one place without bouncing out, except for they had bass, guitars, and drums. Um, but I just didn't know a lot as far as the pastor thing. And in, and in fairness, that has not gone well at some points. Uh, but in some ways, it's gone really well. Uh, because I didn't know that you're supposed to start with the local and then go uh, international. We started international and drew back local. And it's not that one way is right or the other way is wrong. It's just the way the Lord did it for us. And I'm really grateful now because we've learned a lot in this past five years, 10 years. We've learned a lot. And I'm so grateful for the way that it has come because what we've done that's um, different, and maybe some of you have been around ministry a long time know that this is different. Uh, For some of you, maybe you don't know this, but there's two different ways of thought uh, of church. Uh, There's the Hulu, Netflix thought, and there's the Comcast method. Uh, Comcast says this is what's on and what time it's on, and this is when you will watch it and for how long you will watch it. Um, Hulu Netflix says, hey, you just pick it. Whatever you really want to watch, it's just there, and you decide when and where. And, And as a church family, what we have done is say, what does the Lord put on your heart? What is the passion in your heart? And allow you to let just trust that the Holy Spirit can speak to you like he can speak to me. And so when we bring in somebody like Pastor William, you guys remember uh, when he spoke that day and he talked about the ambulance that he needed because he drove a pregnant lady on a motorcycle and we were all like, what? Every pregnant lady was like, ugh. But, But what happened that morning is we said, hey, if the Lord puts it on your heart to help Pastor William, go for it. Now, why... They normally don't do that. The Comcast model says, no, no, you give all the money to us and then we'll decide, kind of like a shark tank for missionaries, we'll decide which missionaries get it and which ones don't. They got to come in and do the hat dance while we're shooting at their feet. And, and, and then we decide which ones get the money. What we've just said is, no, the Spirit can speak to you just like he can speak to me. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. We have to pay for electricity here, right? We have to pay for plumbing and stuff and the septic tank, all the stuff you don't like to think about. We, we got to pay for that. But you know what's happened here? The Lord has done. When we took a $20,000 offering up for Pastor William in June of last year, let me say that again, a $20,000 offering for Pastor William, and he went and bought a truck and a motorcycle, had enough left over. 
our monthly revenue for the church for, to pay the gas bill here and to pay staff here didn't go up or down. And I think it's because the Spirit spoke to people that day, and if we wouldn't have allowed you the opportunity to listen to the Spirit, $20,000 would have walked in and walked right back out again. I don't think for a minute that one of you guys sat in here and had a $5,000 check wrote out, wrote out to the church and marked it out and then rewrote it to Pastor William. Now, if you did, I'm willing to make that mistake. I'd rather err on that side, right? And so we've seen that over and over again. Mark and Dana, you saw their faces blurred out because their lives, it's, it's dangerous where they are. Um, you know, we were able to send them out with $23,000. Conduits here did that uh, because we said, you can do that. And so we look at it and say, it's not that we're stealing away. You're like, man, I didn't know I was coming for a church business meeting. You're not. Um, we're not stealing away from our, our revenue for the church. We just say we're opening up new opportunities. And so the Lord, I learned it from Alex Matala, our guy from Uganda, when he said, Darren, if someone has a heart for clean water, to provide clean water, how can I tell them to change your heart and now have a heart for the Bible Institute? What he says is, I'm just looking for those who have a heart for the Bible Institute to give and to help finance that. And I'm looking for those who have a heart for clean water to provide that. And the Lord has hearts for all of that. That's what we've done at Conduit, saying, this is the Hulu Holy Spirit, which is saying, hey, what is the Lord leading you to do? And we want to give opportunities here, but you may have opportunities outside of here. And so when we say $300,000, that's just what we can track. I have no idea. I mean, I know some of you guys have given uh, to other causes, and we're so grateful and glad for that. And I think that when we get to heaven, that the Lord will all look back and say, all that money didn't really matter anyway. It was, he's just looking for more, full of the Holy Spirit, full of love people to go into the front lines of the kingdom. And money was just one tool in our hands. So that's what happened in Conduit last year. To this day, I don't have a total here, but I know it's over 2 million that's come through here. Us that did it. And I want to show you this morning if you'd open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, why I think that is, what is happening here locally and where we're going to go nationally and locally in the next year from the Christmas story. There's a lesson in that. And by the way, if you uh, haven't got your Christmas shopping done, um, we still have a lot of coffee left from Guatemala and I don't know if Haiti or whatever, but that's going to be available in the back. It's a great gift, great coffee, great coffee. Uh, so that's here and that pays for the mission. So that way I don't forget to do that at the end. This moment brought to you by Conduit Mission. Now, Matthew 2. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many of you guys have a nativity scene in your home, at some place in your home right now? Okay. How many of you have ever participated in the living nativity scene? You've been to that rodeo, right? You dressed up with the, yeah. <laughs> and how many of you, whether in your nativity at home or in your living nativity, had three wise men in it? Right? Here's the thing. They weren't there at the manger. <laughs> like, that's great, and it actually gives you something to do when you're trying to staff up your living nativity because you always got more people. So it's good because you got something for at least three dudes to do, or sometimes the girl with the, you know, with the thing so it looks like a dude, uh, to be the wise men in there. But they weren't there at that point. So while it sounds great and it's fun, it took them a lot longer to get there 
than that. At the time of Jesus' birth, the star appeared, but they would have to travel hundreds of miles to get there. And so there's a clue in Scripture when it was Herod would, would uh, slaughter these innocent children, that it was any children under the age of two years old, which indicated that it probably took up to two years for them to get there. Now let that sink in. When you're sitting in on traffic tomorrow morning, it's going to take you an hour to get to Cool Springs. It took them two years to get where they were supposed to go. Two years. And by the way, we have three. Remember, we three kings of Orient are smoking on a rubber cigar. That's not right. What's, how does it go? The th- we three kings. Maybe you didn't sing that when you were going to. Uh, one was loaded and exploded. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen either because there may or may not have been three. We just know it was plural. It never says three. It sounds good, and again, good for the living nativity, but we don't know. All we know is there are wise men, magi from the east. Now, my question is how on earth did they get there, and why did they go? And that's what I want to unpack. It's been unpacking in my heart this week, and I hope it resonates with you. How would they have known? Was it just a star that appeared and they just followed it? And those, there are those that believe that it was a star, that there was an aligning of the planets of Jupiter and Neptune or something in it because that, you know, it would have been factually accurate. There would have been a star, but it doesn't seem to resonate with the fact that the star seemed to follow them and then seemed, seemed to, at one point they didn't know where it was and then it reappeared over Bethlehem. That's what seems to be indicated from the story. But how did they get there and Why? Now, when you look at that and think, well, they just saw a star and they went, I think that that is, at best, a stretch. But who else in the Bible, in the history of Scripture, when you think back to the Scripture, magi, wise men, who else in their history was a wise man hanging out with other wise men? Now, keeping in mind, when it says, from the East, most scholars would say that it was Ancient Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and Iran that they came from. And if you think back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel was numbered among, Daniel 2 verse 20-ish, Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with, quote, the rest of the wise men of Babylon. When Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he needed it to be interpreted, he called for the wise men, the magi, of which Daniel was considered one of. So Daniel, a a captive Israeli who had been deported to there, who had now been given responsibility in the house of Nebuchadnezzar because he could interpret dreams, was considered among their, their heritage. So if wise men from the east, from Iraq, from Iran, from Babylon, made their way to Bethlehem, I wonder if it was because in their heritage, just a few hundred years early, lived a guy named Daniel who prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 that it would be 483 years. One of the greatest numerical, provable prophecies in the Old Testament among the prophets was that from the time of the decree of Jerusalem to be rebuilt, 483 years later, the Messiah would come Maybe they remembered that prophecy, and when that star arose, a star that they may have remembered from another guy in the book of Numbers. I'm a big fan of this story as a donkey owner. Remember Balak and Balaam? Now, my donkey has never spoken to me with his mouth. 
We have a snuggly donkey. It's the weirdest thing. He's, he just literally will come up and, and wrap his head around and want you to pet him. And he's never so much as kicked me, but he's never spoken. So that's kind of sad. But what happened in Balak and Balaam was a prophet named Balaam who was hired by, he was hired to prophesy against Israel. And it's this weird, this thing in scripture, like what in the world? But in Numbers 22, it says that he was from an area that was literally at the Tigris, the Euphrates River, an area that would have been super close to what would become Babylon. And in his prophecy in Numbers 24, 17, when he was trying to prophesy against Israel and the Lord took over and said in verse 17, I see him, but not now, speaking of Jesus who would later come, I behold him, but not near, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. In a, in a time when prophecies were handed down through the ages, these guys, from their heritage, their specific group of people, would have known of a prophecy of a star that was to come. They would have, in their heritage, known a guy named Daniel, who was numbered among them. A guy named Daniel who prophesied that in 483 years, Messiah would come. And maybe they would remember a prophecy from a guy named Isaiah that would come along later that would say that in Isaiah 60, verse 5, that you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nation shall come to you. This is another messianic prophecy speaking of Jesus to come. And a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and of Sheba will come and they will bring, listen, gold, and frankincense, and shall bring good news and praises of our Lord. Maybe they knew that. Maybe what the Lord was doing from time immemorial was saying, I'm going to need some people to come there that would finance the ministry of Jesus. That gold was what they survived on for two years in Egypt, or for years until they finally it was safe to come back home. Mary and Joseph were poor. They didn't have any money. And they were getting ready. The Lord woke Joseph in the night here in Matthew 2, and he says, get to Egypt to get the the Messiah, to get this baby Jesus safe. How could they have financed for two years living, but someone brought them gold and frankincense and myrrh? Now, why am I telling you that? (laughs) Because it says here in Matthew 2, listen to this, when they get to Jerusalem, they wouldn't have been proficient in all the prophecies, clearly, Because they get to Jerusalem. That wasn't where Messiah was going to come from. And so they're looking for Jesus, the king of the Jews. They don't know his name. This is the king of the Jews. And so where would you start if you didn't know where the king of the Jews was? With the king of the Jews, which is Herod. So they go to Herod unwittingly and say to Herod, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Now, as much as he uh, appreciated that, he was the king of the Jews and was certifiably insane and realized there was a threat to him. And it says in verse 4 of Matthew 2, actually verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In verse 5, and they told him, Bethlehem of Judea, they knew. For so it is written by the prophet, and he quotes from Micah 5.2, Matthew says that you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The scribes knew. 
Now, here's why I'm telling you this. The guys that should have known, because they knew this backwards and forwards. You know what a scribe was? A scribe's job was to rewrite, to continue to copy scripture throughout the millennia. Their job was to write it, and they had these rules and regulations and policies and procedures that if they messed up just one jot or tittle, remember what Jesus said about not one word, they had to start completely over again. And so that's why to this day, we can know that this is exactly as it was thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. Because that was what the scribes did. By that point, what Jesus was reading when he spoke of the Torah had been handwritten over and over again, protected and defended by the scribes. The scribes knew this inside and out. And what was the difference between the scribes and the wise men? Knowledge is knowing the information. Wisdom is knowing what to do about it. And I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God led these wise men with just the word of God that they knew to write where he wanted them, hundreds of miles away. The scribes knew where it was going to be. They knew Bethlehem. They were five miles from that. Jesus was born right under their nose, and they wouldn't even bother to go five miles down the road. And yet, these wise men knew the scripture enough and followed the power of the Holy Spirit and went right to where Jesus was born at the right moment. I share that with you this morning because you know as, if you've been in it for any length of time, if you haven't, you don't know this. I view this and I believe this with all of my heart to be God's word, inspired, inerrant for my reproof and my correction and for edification. It's, I can look back to this. But I don't want us to be a room full of theological porcupines. Do you know what I'm saying? You had a lot of really great points. <laughs> but you're untouchable. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> the New Covenant, let me tell you what the New Covenant is. It's not these books in the New Testament. These are the books of the New Covenant. The New Covenant in the book of Hebrews, and if you've got a Bible... I'd love for you to go there because if this is not underlined in your Bible, you should leave today with it underlined in your Bible. In Hebrews chapter 8, he talks about what the new covenant is. And I'd be there a lot faster if I could actually see. I, I can't. I got one hand. <laughs> Maybe I just leave them on and just go all pawpaw on you. Hebrews 8 tells us what the new covenant is. The writer of Hebrews, who I believe to be Paul, you're welcome to believe it someone else. You're always welcome to be wrong. But I believe it to be Paul. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you millennials are really uncomfortable with that. Um, I believe it to be Paul, but no matter, I believe the Holy Spirit inspired these words. And he said this was a new covenant. And he's saying this was for Israel, but he's saying it's for us now. And he's quoting Jeremiah 31, 31, when he says that I will put my laws into their hearts, in verse 10, hearts and minds, and write on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And in speaking, verse 13 of this new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's saying this is a better way to do this. And what that says to me and to you is that the Holy Spirit 
still to this day doesn't need you, you to, me to tell you or you to tell me what the Spirit is telling me. It's he's going to write his will on my hearts and on my mind and on yours. And what this book, what this new, these books of the New Testament, this new covenant tells us is that if I can look back to this and say, oh yeah, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying, and I can either confirm it with the scriptures or I can be corrected by the scriptures. Keeping in mind that for the first century, the church that changed the world, these radical, world-changing, on-fire, spirit-filled believers did not have the New Testament books. They would get some letters and they started, those were the spirit-leading Paul. And so if you were at the church at Corinth and you felt like the Lord had instituted this thing of the Lord's Supper because he did, and hey, but you know what? We're here, the, the wine isn't gone, let's keep drinking. Let's keep eating, because that's the Lord's Supper. Well, the scriptures, Paul would say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't get drunk at the Lord's Supper. Don't party through it. He, the scripture, the word of the Lord through Paul corrected them. If we thought, hey, we need, to, we need to give to the poor, the spirit putting it on our hearts, but we don't have any money, so I'm going to go rob a bank to get it, go all Robin Hood on it. Ephesians 4.28 would say, hey, you who have stolen, steal no more. But work hard so that you can give to those who are in need. It's on your heart to give to those who are in need? Confirmed by Scripture. You need to steal from somebody else? Corrected by Scripture. Does this make sense? That's the purpose of this book. It is our... Have you gone bowling, right, and those bumpers on either side? This serves as bumpers for us to keep us from going crazy. And I'll say this right now. When you find somebody who's gone crazy in their theology, it's because they have removed a bumper from one side or the other from the word. And they're making it up as they go along. Dangerous. My heart has led me to some dumb things. But the scriptures never do. They're good and they're kind. That's the purpose of this. And what I'm telling you today is I want us as a church family in 2016, we can look back on 2015 and celebrate what the Lord has done We've planted another church. That's three churches we've planted globally. People are getting saved, filled with the Spirit. Lives are being changed all over the world because of us being faithful and obedient. But we don't want to rest on that. And we don't want to sit here and become spiritually fat and get all fat up, ready for the slaughter. We want to look at these scriptures and not be like the scribes, Jesus right under our nose, but we're busy over here treating this like it's some sort of an academic exercise. We want to be in the new year. I want us to have a wise mentality. That we are listening to the Spirit. What would he have you to do? What would he have me to do? And I want to tell you this morning a little bit of what's on my heart for the coming year for our fellowship. What he's put on my heart and my mind. Because he might be putting it on your heart and your mind to get involved with this with us. And when I think about conduit, we started globally, but sometimes you're like, man, why don't, why don't we clean up our own backyard before we start on someone else's? Maybe you've thought that. And I believe the answer is, is because maybe you're saying that is because the Lord gave you, listen to me, maybe the Lord gave you a heart for the backyard, so why aren't you doing anything about it? The Lord gave me a heart for 
the world, and I'll tell you in a minute why, but he's really opening up and breaking my heart for our own community, for our own cities, our own. There are broken people right in this town. There are broken people within a hundred you know, <laughs> yards of this building. Well, maybe not across the street. Broken people that need Jesus. And when I think to local, what that's going to look like for us is our fellowship is investing in us in the word, digging deep in the scriptures like we've done. Continue that. And we've talked about, it's funny, when I said Sunday school, I was actually ready to have to really sell you guys on this. If I'm being honest, I was kind of floating it out there. But you guys are ready. The people that have come up to me and approached me, like you're fired up about that. And here's what's fired up about it is that the only way we're going to get in the word and disciple each other, making disciples, if you want to make a difference, make disciples because they'll go make a difference, is for us in groups together. And what's going to happen sometime after the first of the year is this, if you've been here first or second service, you know it's a little full, a little uncomfortable. So we're going to, we're going to knock down some walls and we're going to expand this to fit 258 chairs in here. No, it'll be like a Southwest Airlines 258, you know what I'm saying? Like, get here early so you don't get the middle seat. <laughs> you don't want to get the C boarding pass. Um, and here's why we're doing that. Not just so we can go to one service, because the fact is, is the Lord might continue to grow it and we have to go back to two services. But the reason for this is so that we can, look, if I announce small groups right now and say, everybody got to get in a small group right now, most of you are thinking, oh gosh, forced friendship. I'm busy. It's like, you, you just say it's an hour, but that's like four hours of my day. Now, some of you are thinking, no, this is awesome because God's given you a passion for that. You see where I'm going with this? He's given you a passion for that. But some of you, he doesn't, but he does have a passion for you to go deeper in the word and deeper in the scripture. So we're opening up a Sunday morning as an opportunity for small groups to come together to move what we were doing on Wednesday nights for deeper into a Sunday morning environment so we can come here at nine o'clock and just dig into the scriptures. It gives an opportunity for those of you that know the Lord and, and just have a passion to teach the scriptures, an opportunity to teach what's on your heart. It gives those of you who can't, and I understand, look, I got four kids, I know, and I'm the pastor of this place, I get it. But it gives you an opportunity. Now, I don't know, a little bit of this, my wife is here, and, and Mo's here, and they're like, yeah, that all sounds great on paper, but where are we going to put everybody? And, and I don't know. I know this, if I have to give up my office for it, then so be it. I've worked in a coffee shop for five years, who cares? It means that there's going to be some sacrifice. I get that. David's going to lose his office. There's a sacrifice in this. But I think it's worth it. I think it's an investment for the kingdom. And by the way, it's going to cost only $25,000. And I say only because if you've been around construction, you know that's not that much. And that also includes new carpet. And get ready. Get ready to get Jesus charismatic. New chairs. Glory! In Jesus' name, amen. You can be dismissed. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to hear anything else I've said after that. <laughs> and all the chiropractors in town are like, doggone it, we're getting a lot of business out of this place. <sighs> it's not like we're going to give less to the kingdom. Do you know what I'm saying? We're not, if we've given away $300,000 this year, it ain't like it's gonna, that's going down. You know what I'm saying? It's okay for us to invest in our local, in our troop carrier. And part of what we've done, when we talk about investing in what the Lord is doing, we don't invest in programs before we invest in people, which is why Shannon is officially full-time on staff because she's awesome. But you know why? Because there were a thousand people that went through this church this week. 
between the homeschool cooperatives, between the Christmas parties, between the plays. And you know what happens when a thousand people come through this? Two weeks ago, Shannon was in here on a Saturday spackling the wall because stuff was broken off. Because you get 200 teenagers, of course they're going to break stuff. They just, teenagers do that. So we need somebody that can interact with and keep those soccer moms getting along with each other, the homeschool cooperatives, not rising up against each other. And trust me, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Shannon does an amazing job of that. Mo has done a great job of keeping a string on my balloon, going, hey, Darren, that sounds great, but how are we going to pay for that? That's pretty much Mo's job. Well, that's great, but how are we going to pay for that? And as we think about the discipleship piece, like we've got, I feel like for the first time, we've got an engine that is strong and is ready to run. We can, we've got the, we're getting the logistics under control, but what we needed was somebody to come through here and say, hey, if we're going to be organizing small groups, two parallel paths, life-on-life discipleship and Sunday morning deeper, if we're going to have somebody, we're going to do that, we're going to need somebody to shepherd that. So James, would you come down here? Um, I want to announce to you this morning that James is coming on like part-time, although I don't know that he really knows what part-time means, but James helped us through the Conduit Underground experience, did a great job. If you were leading one of those, you know that he communicated more, not less. He was awesome. So James is effective immediately helping right now to dream through what we're going to be doing with our life-on-life discipleship, deeper stuff. Would you give him just a quick overview of what that's looking like? Yeah, so a uh, little bit of background on me. Um, I uh, was a youth pastor for about six years, uh, so I know what it's like to be on a church staff and work in a church. And uh, through a um, situation and circumstance, I stepped away from that uh, for about 10 years, so I understand what it is to be sitting there and you know, wonder how in the world do they think that we have time to do all the things that these pastors dream up as they sit in their office all week. And so I have a, a great appreciation for... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. What? I'm about to not even have an office. Right. For, you know, what it is to be on the, the pastoral staff side and, and, you know, be focused on the work of, and the ministry of the church. Uh, but I have a much greater appreciation of what it is to... What, what it is that we're asking of, of you guys, of us. Because I'm one of you. I have a full-time job. I'm, I'm a, a sign language interpreter. Um, both my parents are deaf. Sign language is my first language. And uh, so I am at any you know, given day somewhere in the Nashville area waving my arms around for a living. And uh, people pay me to do that. So it's, it's uh, pretty great. Uh, Mo, Jeremy, it's not nice to talk about your mothers that way. Um, <laughs> people start waving their arms around, think they know what they're doing. And people get offended, and it's very, very awkward. Anyway, so... Um, so I've been out of, out of church work for a while, and uh, this past May, my uh, mentor, my uh, college professor uh, and pastor, um, he, uh, he passed away uh, rather unexpectedly. Actually, um, oddly enough, while he was in Africa doing what he loved to do. And um, we went back for his funeral because there was no way I was going to miss the opportunity to pay tribute to this beautiful man. And he... Um, when I stepped away from ministry, I, I became a part of his church. And he said to me, he said, no, you know, God's not done with you yet. You may have to be out of the game for a little while. Um, but he believes in you. And I believe in you. And so um, I went back to his funeral and I saw all these people there. And I thought, man, this is what I want my life to be someday. People that have been impacted for the kingdom of God because they crossed paths with me. And so we're on the way home, you know, and Beck and I are talking, and I was like, man, you know, 
if I ever had an opportunity to go back into ministry, um, I think, you know, now that I'm going to go looking for it, because uh, I don't really like the whole pastoral draft thing that, that churches do. Um, but maybe, you know, there would be an opportunity to conduit someday. We get back, and not a week later, I'm having breakfast with Darren, and he says to me, he says, you know, have you ever thought about going back into ministry? <laughs> Funny you should mention that. I think the Spirit's been talking to you just like he's been talking to me. And uh, so we began this conversation about what that would look like as, as far as small groups. And uh, we have a passion for community, uh, for life on life. And I understand that when we say small groups, life groups, community groups, whatever you call them, uh, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, bad experiences. There's a lot of great experiences. And so we want to try to declutter that as much as possible and un- under- have you understand that, that there's no, um, no guilt trip here. Um, I'm not interested in starting a program and having tons of people join to feed my ego. Uh, I've been on that bus. Uh, it's not a very fun one. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, but this is an invitation. I'm always amazed that, that Jesus and his life and ministry, he just invited people to experience what he was doing. And if you didn't want to get on the bus, then that's fine. He just, he just moved on. Not that he didn't care about those people. Not that he didn't love them. I mean, I'm blown away. He shows up in a town. This guy's possessed by thousands of demons. He heals this man. The town rushes out. It's like, what is going on? This guy's in his right mind, has clothes on. And they're like, yeah, we're going to need you to leave. And it's not like Jesus is going, was it something I said? No, he just left and said, okay. That man stayed there, ministered in that community. And Jesus comes back a couple years later and feeds 4,000 plus people. So... This is just an invitation to be a part of doing life on life. And it's not because you need more friendships. But we believe that discipleship is best when it's done with my life getting involved with your life and your life getting involved with my life. And being in each other's business. Being known with all of our junk. Because we all got it. And someday I'll tell you my story. It's going to be good too. It is. I know it. Spoiler, but yeah, it's really good. <laughs> to be known and loved anyway. And to have someone look at me and say, you know, I, I think I see this in your life. And man, I, man, I'm concerned about that for you. To get in my face and to allow me to get into yours and to allow other people to get into each other's faces. To deal with sin and brokenness and so that people can find healing and redemption. And, and, and it's all of that. And like Darren said, our, our goal and our plan is to start slowly. Again, I have another job. But to build something that is meaningful and has deep roots. And it's not just some slap together program because it's what everybody else is doing. Uh, you know, we've all been there. That's why we're here. I mean, I hear from a number of you and we're the same way. We like Conduit because it's the least churchy church we could find. Right? <laughs> And I love this place because it's small and it's got nasty carpet and horrible chairs. Because if long. you're here, <laughs> right, not for long. So we got to watch out for the people who love new carpets and chairs. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they're coming. They won't stay. <laughs> what I love about this place is if you're here, it's because you want to be here. Right? Yeah. Because, because you believe God is doing something. And so we really, you know, Darren's heart and passion is we've done really well on the global part. And I mean, again, amazing work that God is doing all over the world. But you know what? There are people right here in Middle Tennessee that need Jesus. And uh, I want to be part of something here locally uh, that is seeing people come to Christ for the very first time or come back to Christ. Whatever it is, we're pointing people to Jesus. And so we're, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to make small group the, the, the information dump for everything we can't get done on Sunday morning. <laughs> I promise you that. Okay. It's going to be about relationships. It's going to be about 
uh, loving on each other. It's going to be about getting in the word and meditating on what we're learning about from Pastor Darren and other teachers on Sunday morning. And then we're going to have that other track, that deeper track for those of you that want to go deeper. We're going to have sessions that we offer on Sunday morning. So it's almost like two parallel lines, so to speak. And uh, we're still in the process of figuring it all out, what we're going to do with the kids, all that. But that's what we'll I'm going to be. We'll figure it out. That's what I'm that's what all we about. do. That's why we have James. Figure it out. Right. It's his job description. Thanks, James. And that's my time. You know, um, for the sake of time, Benny, would you come down here right now? Um, it's dangerous to hand a, a preacher a microphone and say five minutes, but local, that's where we're going uh, digging deep. National, many of you don't know this, but we work with churches all over the country outsourcing their mission. So when David is uh, hosting and leading and, and dreaming up journeys and trips. It's oftentimes pastors that we have awakened, not just guys that are already doing mission, but guys that have never been overseas before, the guys that are uh, pastors that haven't been. So that's, those are the churches that are represented right now that we've taken on trips this last year when we think national. But when I think national, again, I, the way that we're running churches, you don't wait for me to give you the order your way. What is the Spirit leading you to do? This is Benny Prophet. Benny has been a friend, a mentor, a uh, it's just the right time in my life at a moment when I was like, am I doing this wrong? He's the first guy that listened to what we were doing as a church and didn't say I was crazy as far as other pastors or whatever. And I thought, well, it doesn't mean I'm not crazy, but at least I mean someone thinks that. But Benny had this idea that God wrote on his heart and on his mind to make a movie uh, about Rachel Scott, the young lady who died in the Columbine shooting 16 years ago. And it couldn't be a more relevant time, could it? And so I just asked Benny to give us a quick update where you are. You've been, he is not here very often because he is on the go right now. But tell us where we are with the movie and what, do you need us anything right now? Thank you. We definitely need your prayers. And I know that uh, many of y'all tell us and know that you're praying for us. Uh, The movie is finished and I have seen it. Now we're in our, probably our, yes, thank you. Right? And uh, that's a big deal. We've uh, Beth's been wanting to do this for 16 years. I've been working with her for eight on this project. So finally to see a movie finished is a, a very important to her and all of us. Um, it's still in post-production. Uh, we've actually shown the movie four times in what's called focus groups, and the response has been overwhelming. So I think we're really pleased. I know Beth is really pleased. The mother said that's the story I wanted to tell. So that's why we were doing this for her. Uh, there is... Uh, Challenges on every hand. We announced here that we were going to release the movie on April the 20th. Next year, we're not going to be able to do that. Um, Beth, actually, you know, every time there's a victory, there's, there is a battle coming. And Beth began to receive threats, death threats, uh, from people in, Column, in, in Littleton, uh, threats to her family. Uh, there was a petition from 1,700 families that said, do not show this movie on April 20th. Your daughter was not the only one that died that day. Very bitter. Um, and uh, the school districts were being bombarded, so we've moved it off of that date. We're now renegotiating. We, would, we don't want to put Beth and her family through that. But every time you have this incredible opportunity, uh, every one of us know, put on your armor, because here it comes, because every step forward, you know around the corner is another battle. So we're now looking at that. And when we can actually uh, uh, renegotiate and get the movie out there, and we'll let you know. Please continue to pray for us. Uh, there is uh, one of the things, I guess, my major role in this whole uh, movie was to do this for Beth and sort of protect it. And when you have something that's this valuable, there are people that, uh, 
you know, it says do nothing out of selfish ambition. So we've had to deal with people on the journey who basically said, uh, uh, you know, they became filled with selfish ambition and they had to be released. So pray for us. We're trying to be wise on this journey. Uh, we want to protect this story and uh, have it seen by the most people. We were in Rome last week and we showed it to the World Evangelical Alliance uh, youth leaders from 40 different nations. There were youth pastors there from Syria who actually, the 21 guys that their throats were cut on the beach by ISIS, that was their friends. They told us the stories of, of their friends and what they were willing to do to die for Christ and, and boldly proclaim him at the point of death. So that story, like you said, that's a real story that's going on around the world. And it was amazing to, to meet these people, but uh, the story was real, uh, well received there. Uh, a little... Uh, youth pastor who has a network of youth pastors all across India uh, said, we're going to show this movie to millions of people across India. They were so moved by it. So the opportunities are endless and the battle rages. So pray for us to have wisdom uh, as we continue to do this and for, uh, for God to continue to protect our story and guide him. And we, uh, we feel like we have something very special for God's kingdom. Thank you for the part you've already pl played in this. Please continue to pray for us as we try to get this thing to the finish line. Thank you. Thanks, ma'am. And it's our hope to be a part more. We've been able to uh, donate uh, to Benny along the way. We've been just, just as your, you know, part of your church offering, we've just been given to Benny to pay for plane tickets and to pay for what he's doing. And we're going to get to do that again here. And so I, I just... I th when I think national, that means I don't have to do it. We're just saying, what's the spirit doing amongst you? And not just national, but if you've been around a while, you know global is on our minds and on our hearts. And if you look back to just this past year, you know, Haiti has been there. It was where we were born out of, and the Lord is moving, and we just planted a new church up in the mountains there. It's, well, it had been there for a long time, but we've provided the infrastructure now to a brand new building for Pastor Raymond uh, amazing what God is doing there. We're continuing to build homes for those that are in need. And when I say we, I mean we, because I know in this room some of you have funded that. And when I think to even Andrew and Glenda in Canada, you know, they were part of our fellowship. The Lord called them there for specific reasons, and, but they're not one to rest on their laurels. He's been up there swinging a hammer in one hand, helping in disaster situations alongside Samaritan's Purse and other organizations. And then pulled in to teach the Bible to like little First Nations kids that are up in the, uh, you know, I mean, literally like way middle of nowhere. He's been a missionary to those as well. That's been a part of what's happening. Rob and Amanda Juilliard continue to be stationed in Guatemala and doing an amazing job there in the kingdom. And we can celebrate that and know, hey, when we go into this next year, that's what the Lord is continuing to do for us. But I want to share to you, with you this morning what's been kind of on my heart and on my mind. And I believe that it's the Holy Spirit that's been writing it on my heart and on my mind. If you've been around a while, the body of Christ, you might have heard of this idea of the 1040 window. And that window, it's the latitude and longitude is what it's defined by. Inside that window lives two-thirds of the world's population. And it is by far the most unreached people groups in the world in that window. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, it's all in there. And as I've really prayed this year, I, I've, I've realized that if you were to look nationally, statistically speaking, five cents of every dollar in global mission is spent in that window right now. The most unreached 
people group in the world, the most difficult, the most dangerous, five cents on every dollar. I'm happy to say that in the conduit world, it's been 30 cents on every dollar. So I'm feeling good about that. But I feel like that we need to double down on that. If you're looking and maybe you recognize some of the nations that we've already been to, David uh, and Jaina have been a part of conduit mission and David and Jaina have had a heart for Philippines and for Nepal right inside the 1040 window. So this past year when they were there, things were happening with our partner ministries over there. We really want to seek the Lord and see how could we be more a part of what they're doing there on the front lines. And if you cross-reference the evening news and you look at some of these nations, they might sound familiar to you that are part of the 1040 window. When you think as a church, as believers, when I'm watching the news and I don't know what to do, let me tell you, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, the best weapon against terrorism are born-again, spirit-filled missionaries on the front lines, fearless, bringing Jesus to the hopeless. And when Togo, Africa, the very north of Togo is where William is, let me tell you, when you drive from the southern coast of Lome all the way to where he's at, it's mosque after mosque after mosque after mosque. In some of these towns, David's been there with me, it's like it's First Baptist Mosque, Second Baptist. They're like side by side everywhere. But in the middle of this little village is this outpost of the kingdom called Conduit Church in Benshaw where people have gone to Bible Institute. Their kids are being baptized and saved and being raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because of Pastor William. In Uganda with Alex Matala, the Islamic tide continues to roll through Africa. But when the enemy comes in, what is it? Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. And that standard that we're working with is a guy named Alex Matala, <laughs> bringing Jesus to them. I've got an opportunity, an invitation to go to Morocco next year with Mark and Dana. If you remember them, they were here. They're from this area, but they've been living in Morocco, bringing Jesus to unreached people groups. My friends, Matt and Julie Beamer, are working inside of Lebanon bringing Jesus to them. They've invited me to go in January, and I'm still praying if it's what the Lord wants us to do or not, but they're working with churches inside of Beirut, Lebanon. They are ministering to not only Jesus' people, but Muslims as well. And what's happening right now, never in any time in history have more Muslims converted to Christianity than in the last 10 years. The last few centuries combined are fewer than what's happened in the past 10 years, by far, because Jesus loves everyone. He came and died for Muslims. He came and died for Buddhists. He came and died for Americans as well. And I don't know, when I think to the, the, the complications of terrorism, that's above my pay grade. But what I know is Jesus came and died even for Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And let me tell you what Jesus can do with a former Christ killer or Christian killer. His name is Paul, one of the greatest terrorists in history. Gang, we can't afford to sit back on our laurels at this time. If the Lord tarries another year, and I pray he doesn't, but if he does, I want to be found occupying until he comes, building more outposts for the kingdoms, more churches, more Christ followers bonding. That's all the churches. There's a bunch of Jesus people. Now what do we do? We're going to lock arms together and do something for him. And as a church, I'm not asking everybody to go. Most of you won't, but I'm asking for you to pray. And to pray for our brothers and sisters, one of the ones that's on my heart is a guy named Grady Pickett. Grady is a straight-up, certified, government-inspected, USDA-approved redneck from Michigan. 
It was like Tim Bassanio on steroids. Hunt, bow hunts, the whole thing. He moved his family to northern Iraq. And this was just this week or last week. He's working with Christian refugees who have had to flee their homes. And what's happening right now is if you're a Christian in that area, you're being rejected. Even just trying to get supplies or a heater because it's cold. So he put up a post this week on his Facebook asking for us to donate to buy heaters. It's on my heart that we help a guy like Grady who's on the front lines. Maybe we're not there, but we can be the provision that can get Grady finance to do what Jesus has called he and his family and children to do. This is not a time for us to shrink back. It's a time for us to lead forward. Not to lead from behind, but to lead from the front. And I can't tell you what other churches are going to do. It's not my business nor my responsibility, but I can tell you at Conduit, we're going forward, not backwards. It's going to start locally with discipleship and building up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if you dream with me, think to the future five years down the line. These churches we partner with nationally, young men and women are going on these mission trips. God is waking up. What if we have a little discipleship ministry Bible school here? Jim Gosney and I have talked about it. It just hasn't felt like time yet, but maybe that's something the Lord is going to do here. All I know is he gave us a building with 13,000 square feet and 11 acres, and I don't think he gave us 11 acres to look at. I don't know that the future, I'm really bad at that, but I can look to the future and say, I really feel like that would make sense. Young men and women coming from around the country, spending a year here, being apprenticed and discipled and then sent into the world. Maybe we bring some of our buddies from Guatemala and Haiti here and give them a year and then send them out into the world. The front lines of the kingdom. Conduit. I really believe that's where the Lord is, is going. And for the next year, it just means us getting deeper in the word, going forwards, not backwards. If you've been sitting and resting in a while, because maybe you've been harmed or hurt someplace, maybe another church you got hurt and you're bitter and you're angry. You know what God does with burned stones? He uses them. When they were rebuilding the temple, Nehemiah, what did the king say? Are you just going to use those old burned stones to rebuild the temple? Yes. He did. He rebuilt Jerusalem with the burned stones. They were burned by Babylon, not by God. And if you've been burned, it isn't by God, it's by Babylon. Brush yourself off, get back up, and let's get busy for occupying the kingdom till he comes. I'm so excited. I can look back and see where God has brought us and I can, we could just rest there. But that's not what he wants us to do. I'm looking in a room full of Christ followers right now that are doing amazing things for the kingdom. Right in our own backyard. You know, Stephanie with Jacob's smile and what you're doing with helping the little boys and girls here with Christmas. That's a, the spirit put that on your heart and on your mind and you move forward with it. Look at Tim and Edie, and you may, most of you don't even know, he's got a TV show that actually airs in Pakistan, and these around Muslims, you can't, they can't stop satellite. They're getting stories of people. It's already happening into the kingdom. Jason and Michelle, like what you guys are doing with hunters, like who would have thought that was a ministry? As it turns out, Jason did, and it works. There are men who are coming to Christ and being empowered and bolstered and built up because of what they're doing, reaching into the men of this country. As a church locally... Pray about what is the Lord leading you to do this year. Can you be a part of helping us disciple our children right here while you're here? Can you be a part of Sunday morning going deeper and building that foundation in the word? 
And maybe you want to be a part of not being a spiritual porcupine, but actually reaching out into the world with what you've learned in the scripture. That's 2016 for us. And I'm so excited. I'm so fired up. We're entering our sixth year. Crazy, crazy that the Lord took us a bunch of, just a bunch of scrappy little Jesus followers and is doing something amazing through us. And what is the story of scripture over and over again is God doing big things through small groups. 2016 is going to be great. Thank you for your patience this morning. I know that in this coming weeks we're going to start scattering and hitting to Christmas, but I, I wanted to hit that before everybody scattered to let you know that God is on the move at Conduit and we have a place for you here. If anything, I want this next year to be a place where it's hard to sit still because God is just wrecking you. Like, ah, he's just speaking to you, moving. You can't hardly sit still and you're like the Magi. You'll go 800 miles on foot if you have to just to follow what Jesus has said. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, I really wish I could figure out how to take credit for this. But it's so beyond you. It was so audacious. It was so bold. It was so impossible that only you could do what you have done. And from that, we bolster our faith to know that you're not done with us. It's not over. This isn't time for us to slap ourselves on the back, Lord. It's time for us to move forward. So we look to the past and build our faith and say, you've done it before, you'll do it again. And this morning, I pray, God, that you would continue to knock on our hearts and that some of us who have been holding back will open the door today and let you in and own all of us, not part of us. God, you have been so kind to us. And I pray that we'll... (laughs) Not let the fears talk us out of what you're leading us to do. I believe that whether it's hugging somebody at Kroger or buying somebody's coffee at Starbucks, Lord, let us not wince back in fear from what you are leading us to do. And I am thankful for your word that allows us to confirm or to correct who we are and what we're doing. Thank you for that. It's a gift for us, supernatural. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Gang, it's going to be a good year. Enjoy your Christmas. <laughs> Get some rest. We're going to need it. Um, any announcements? Be blessed, guys. <laughs>